a comprehensive survey and personal experience, I have determined that there are two kinds of people in this world. Those who think a quarter tank of gas in their car means it's time to fill up, and those who know exactly how far they can go after the empty light has come on. You know who you are, right? So who are my who are the quarter tankers? Raise your hands. Okay, who are my empty drivers? What up? You're my people. P.S. I used to be a quarter tanker, but then I married Sam. <laughs> and then actually my car tells me exactly how many miles I have left on it, which is so dangerous. I'm like, oh, I'm only two miles from home. It says I have four. I'm fine. It's dangerous. No matter which one of these two that you are, we could all kind of agree that you would not set off on a road trip without making sure you've got enough gas in the tank, right? Who would start a trip like you're driving to Chicago? Who would get on 94 on empty, right? You just wouldn't do that. You would not start a long drive with your car on empty. But this is what happens in today's gospel. To start us out, a little bit of background. A Jewish wedding traditionally in this time went a certain way every time. The groom would go with his friends to the house of the bride, where the bride and the bridesmaids were waiting, and they would all go in a procession to the house of the groom, and there they would get married and have a party. So right off the bat, this parable today is different. It's out of the ordinary. When he says ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the groom, that is unusual. So right off the bat, the people listening are going to turn their ear because it breaks tradition. It's out of the ordinary. The bridegroom comes to the bride. That's normal. And the bridesmaids are part of the plan always, but meeting him on the way and bringing him that to the house where she lives is very unusual. Now, five of the ten are waiting for their job to meet the bridegroom without any oil for their lamps. It's not that they simply ran out. They just didn't bring any with them in the first place. In verse 3 it says, When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. Doesn't that seem strange? You need two things in this job as a bridesmaid, a lamp and oil. That's it. That's the whole reason they're there, right? How do they not have what they needed? How Out of two things, how did they not have one whole thing? It's almost as if they were just lazy or neglectful or at the very least complacent. So the groom shows up at midnight. Everyone is sleeping. And side note here, they're all sleeping because it's midnight. Who has a wedding at midnight? Nobody, right? That doesn't happen. That's weird. So who does that, right? It's unusual. Again, out of the ordinary in this story. And the reason it is at midnight is purposeful in Jesus' telling of this parable because midnight is the darkest time of night when you will definitely need your lamp to have oil in it. And they weren't ready. So what do these foolish, foolish, the word in the Greek actually means, is the root word for our word moron, so you can infer what you wish into that. Jesus is real nice there. So these foolish ones turn to the wise and say, hey, hey, give me some of your oil. They were the ones who, after all, took flasks of oil with their lamps, like they were supposed to. And those bridesmaids turn to the foolish and say, no, go get your own. And the party begins. The ones with oil get in, 
the ones who didn't have enough oil had to go get their own, and they miss out. The end. Isn't that such a happy parable? Now, this parable is usually given the title of the parable of the ten bridesmaids. And that's who we most often focus on. And as we often do, we try to find ourselves in the characters of each parable. So in this one, we have two options, right? We're either the foolish, unprepared, or the wise, prepared ones. Moral of the story is be prepared, right? Which is terrifying if you are one of those people who is not always prepared. This doesn't sound like good news unless you're one of the five bridesmaids who happens to have what she needs in the moment. And while you might be sure that you are the kind of person that's going to be prepared because you are one of the quarter tank of gas filler uppers, I am not. So this doesn't feel like great news for me. Also, if you're one of the prepared ones, if you are a person who tends to have their act together, how do you know if it's good enough? How do you know if a quarter tank of gas is going to get you where you need to go? How is that even enough? How can you be sure? How prepared can you really be? So then this parable kind of feels uncomfortable for everybody, right? No matter which bridesmaid you sign up to be in this parable, you end up feeling kind of not great. Either you're unprepared and you're outside of the party or you're in the party. If only you work hard to stay prepared for the day and the hour that you don't know and can't know when it will come. The end. Again, not really the happiest of parables. Now, it's pretty obvious that we don't want to be the foolish bridesmaids, right? We all can kind of agree with that. They're unprepared. It's like all those pictures where someone messes up and the text underneath it says, you had one job, right? You've all seen those pictures? All they had to do was bring a lamp and some oil. And even worse, if they didn't bring oil and just expected the others would help them, they can come across as manipulative in this story. I think sometimes we think of these poor bridesmaids that got locked out because they didn't bring their oil. Oh, woe is them. But what if they were just kind of jerks? And thought, you know what? Um, I, don't, I don't need to do the work. Somebody else will do it for me. I don't need to bring oil. That, my friend brought enough for both of us. It's kind of a word of caution, right? And warning to those of us who might cheapen grace by expecting others to make your way easier. So then, a word of grace here if you consider yourself to be one of the prepared ones. You're allowed to say no in this parable, right? There is beauty and grace in the no that is given by those wise bridesmaids. My colleague and local pastor, Emmy Kegler, said this week that this moment in the parable, the no, is a moment of holy boundary. She said, Beloveds, be brave enough to rejoice that we have a God who says to manipulation and perfectionism and codependency and toxicity of all kinds in all relationships, this cannot come with you into the kingdom. Keep your lamps trimmed and burning, but leave behind whatever might steal your light. If you feel the pressure to work for yourself and for others to get everything right for somebody else, to pull someone along with you, there is a lot of freedom here. As they say in Al-Anon, you don't have to set yourself on fire to keep someone else warm. 
you are allowed to say no to those who are manipulative and take advantage. So that feels kind of good if you think you're a wise bridesmaid, right? I mean, that's who we want to be in this story. They're looking pretty good right now, aren't they? All you have to do is be prepared. Now, if any of you in here are type A or lean towards the perfectionist tendencies, you know how difficult this text is to hear because it puts us right into pride and self-righteousness and the belief that we can do it all on our own. I got this. I got this. The fact that they get into the party for doing it right feels like justice if you're the kind of person who's always overprepared and ready for everything. You quarter tank filler-uppers. But don't be quick to make the wise bridesmaids the hero of this parable. They may, yes, get the title of wise, but they are also negligent. Sure, they did the right things to be prepared on the surface, but what about their hearts? See, sometimes our no is a good and healthy boundary. Sometimes our no is the opposite. Sometimes we say no because we've decided to take care of ourselves at the detriment to someone else. Sometimes we just don't think it's fair that we did the stuff we were supposed to do, and you know what? If they miss the party, that's their fault, not mine. It's on them. Now, Matthew's Gospel doesn't address this in this section that we read today of chapter 25, but just a little later in this same chapter, in the same story that Jesus is telling to the same group of people, He reminds the gathered, who just got all excited that they are in, go us, that what you do to the least of these, you do to me. So here we have the ten bridesmaids. The foolish are negligent in their own preparedness. The wise are negligent in caring for their neighbor. And what makes this parable so uncomfortable is that we can see ourselves in each of these, right? We can see ourselves in the foolish and in the wise bridemaid. It's hard to hear that either we're not ready or we've got to work harder. And while both of those can be helpful sometimes and important for convicting us to turn us back to God, to help us to repent and ask for forgiveness and then move forward, I'm not Sure, they are the only options for where we can find ourselves in this parable. I think there's one more. No, it's not the groom. We're not Jesus. We're never, we never get to be Jesus. Instead of always being the bridesmaid, today maybe we get to be the bride. This is, after all, a story about a wedding. And to the disciples listening to this story and to the first readers of Matthew's gospel, the language of bride and groom to represent the relationship between God and God's people would be very familiar. We are used to hearing this parable from the perspective of the bridesmaids. But anyone who has ever been to a wedding knows that it is all about the bride. And even though we don't get any information about the bride in this text today, we know she's there. And because of the history of this metaphor, we know Jesus is talking about God and us. So when we take the perspective of the bride, we find that this parable changes from being about being good enough or prepared enough, from being in or out, 
to a parable about a relationship between us and God, a groom and a bride. So I'd like you to close your eyes for a moment and place yourself in this parable today as the bride and listen to it again with the new title I've given it, The Parable of the Bride Who Waits. There once was a groom who broke protocol, your groom. Now, culture dictates that the groom should come and get you and bring you in a grand procession to his house or to the house of his family, but that is not how your groom operates. Your groom is coming to you, right where you are. You'll get married at your house, and instead of carrying torches for the procession back to his, your bridesmaids will meet him on the way, and together they will light the path all the way to you. That's the plan. Except... He's not on time. He doesn't show up when you think he should or when you want him to. And you start to wonder. You start to worry. Is he lost? Did he change his mind? Did I do something wrong? What if he's not coming at all? You start to doubt. Maybe he doesn't actually love me. Maybe he won't keep his promise. I mean, who keeps promises these days anyway? No one. Doesn't your grandma always say there's no guarantees in life? So you wait. And you worry. He's still not here. Your bridesmaids get bored. We're so tired of waiting, they say. And they fall asleep. Even you begin to lose hope. You lay down. You doze off. Wake up, you hear the shout. Here he comes. Oh, he made it. I mean, you knew he would be here. You never doubted it for a second. The procession brings him to your house, to you, just like he said. He meets you at the banquet. He looks at you with love in his eyes, calls you his beloved, and reminds you that you are his. Always. You see, nothing is going to stop this groom. No distance, no bumps in the road, not the late hour, not the darkness, not even your unprepared bridesmaids, nothing. See, this groom always shows up. You see how this changes? When we take the perspective of the bride, the whole story changes. The hope and promise contained in this parable is that the groom always shows up. Always. God always shows up. And we know, we all know, there are moments where it does not feel like it. Where it seems really dark. The darkest dark. Like midnight dark. And we start to doubt that maybe God's not coming that maybe God was never going to come. It's there in the waiting where things get difficult. Because the waiting is the hardest part, and how we wait matters. That is why we hear about the bridesmaids today. Because the bridesmaids teach us how to wait and the importance of being prepared. And as any bridesmaid knows, you take your cue from the bride. So when it comes to our relationship to God, which is the bride and groom relationship, we are reminded that our groom always shows up. But when it comes to our relationships with each other, 
we are reminded that we have work to do. We are bridesmaids in relationship to each other. We can see ourselves in both of these places. In fact, in the parables, it's at your detriment to put yourself in only one spot. We can see ourselves in all of these. Jesus begins his parables with the words, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. And he means when the groom comes, when God comes, when, not if, are you prepared? What are you doing while you wait? Are you worrying? Are you starting to panic a little? Are you starting to doubt? Did you fall asleep? Stop looking at all? Are you making sure you're ready? Are you taking advantage of those around you? Are you ignoring the need of the people around you? Then the kingdom will be like this. Jesus starts with a little word in the Greek. It's then the Greek is a the word in Greek is a future tense. Then, when God comes, it will look like this. This is the not yet of the kingdom of God. It's breaking in over and over again, all over the place, but it is not quite all the way here yet. And in the meantime, how we wait matters. Now, as we wait, we can fret and doubt and worry and turn inward and only think about ourselves. We can panic We can make more rules and keep more people out and lock the doors and take advantage of those around us in order to secure our place. Or we can trust that we have a groom that always shows up. And we can prepare with hope and joyful expectation because even though I know it doesn't always feel like it, our groom will not let us down. And in how we wait matters, how we prepare Matters. Our reading from Amos today, we heard just a little bit about what God wants us to be about as we wait. See, the Israelites were waiting for Jesus to come too for the first time. And Amos asks them who are waiting, why do you want God to show up? You aren't ready. You're focused on all the wrong things. See, God hates your solemn assemblies, your festivals, your offerings, the noise of the songs you're singing. God doesn't want any of that stuff. What God wants is justice rolling down like water and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. See, God is constantly breaking into our world through justice and righteousness in the darkest and most hopeless moments. And God is not done yet. God will keep showing up with justice and love and light always, again and again, no matter what gets in the way. And sometimes, we have to be honest, what gets in the way of this is us. We hear about the bridesmaids today because we too get complacent. We fall asleep. We stop looking. We take advantage of others. We turn away. But God still shows up. And either we have our lamp filled and ready to go, or we don't. The shout from the parable today is for us to wake up. Look, here is the bridegroom. Come out and meet him. Are you ready? Ready?